It's, it's days like today that I just am astounded and reminded about how blessed we are. I mean, we live in a society and in a time when, for the most part, we are, it doesn't matter the weather, you know, we can kind of run to our cars and drive and we're protected. You know, the temperature doesn't really affect us a great deal. You know, maybe the air conditioner runs a little longer. Maybe the air conditioner doesn't keep it exactly the temperature we want it. Um, and man, you think about, uh, you know, my mind first jumps to uh, the Christians in the past and, you know, having to preach to thousands of people without a megaphone, right? With, without a microphone or speakers. And then I think uh, about the Christians today that are in so many parts of the world that preach without any of the conveniences that we have. You know, the Christians that live not only without the convenience that we have, but preach under the threat of physical violence every day. So I, I, I can't help but be reminded by that stuff um, as we uh, kind of fight the elements a little bit this morning. So um, we are going to be in Acts, and we're going to be in chapter 24. And we're... We are talking about Paul. And Paul, as he appears before um, the authorities there. And to catch you up a little bit on the story, and I'm going to be as brief as I can because we are, are a little behind the eight ball here. Um, Paul was preaching in Jerusalem. And uh, the folks didn't, the Jews, the Jewish leaders didn't like what he's preaching. And they grab him and start roughing him up. And they're going to have a little impromptu trial here, and they're going to dispatch Paul. Um, and as their, their trial basically involves them beating him as they're making uh, wild accusations against him. The Romans send in uh, the Roman governor there, uh, always on the lookout for a Jewish rebellion, realizes something big's going down, and he sends some soldiers in, and they see this guy get beat up. They kind of seize him, back everybody off, and then they get to figure out what to do with him. Initially, the Romans are going to beat him. Uh, it's kind of their normal go-to. They, you see they do it with Jesus. If there's somebody the local officials are mad at, they take him and beat him a little bit and say, see, you can calm down now. We've, we've, we've beaten the tar out of this guy. We're good, right? Um, so they take uh, Paul and, and start roughing him up, and that's when uh, Paul ends up kind of playing this trump card of, hey, I'm, I'm a Roman. I'm a Roman. And uh, all of a sudden, totally different situation, right? Because now we've got these Roman soldiers uh, looking to their commander going, uh, dude, I just, we just roughed up this Roman. Like, this is my head. Like, this is your head. We, this is a problem here. Because you can't do that to a Roman. You can do it to the local folks, but you can't rough up a Roman like that. There has to be a trial. There has to be actual things in place. So that changed everything once they, he kind of announced he was a Roman. We're going to flash forward a little bit in, in the circumstance. He's now been transferred, and he is um, in the governor's because the, the local authorities realize, hey, this, we're not going to keep him alive here. So we need to transfer him uh, to a, a larger garrison a little farther away from these uh, religious leaders so for his protection and really for their own protection because they knew that the blood, his blood, Paul's blood, was on them now, uh, and he was a Roman. So we're going to start looking in Acts 
24, verses 22. we start with verse 22. But Felix, having a rather acute knowledge of the way, which, by the way, the way, that's Christianity. That's teaching of Jesus. That's one of the many ways it's referred to, one of the common ways it's referred to. Um, I put them off, saying... Um, when Lysias, uh, the tribune, comes down, I'll decide your case. So this is Felix. Paul is in front of Felix now. The accusation, Paul, they've just had a conversation. Paul has basically said back in verse 21, hey, the real reason I'm on trial here is because I'm preaching the resurrection of the dead. That's, that's the real reason. Which... In the Roman governing terms, that is not a crime. That's not something that's worth, like, I, we can't hold you for that. We can't kill you for that. We can't let these people kill you because now we know you're a Roman soldier or a Roman citizen. So, so that, that's basically what we see uh, Felix doing here is he's putting off, he's trying, he's trying to put off the, the trial here. Uh, so then he gave the orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody but have some liberty. And that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. And he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Jesus Christ. So, um, so Paul's front in front of the authority, right? The the civil authorities here and he is giving a case and he's not just giving a case for his innocence he is taking advantage of this opportunity to tell people about Jesus now whether those people be the prisoners that he's with or the guy the, the politician or and his wife he is using this opportunity to share his faith in Jesus and as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and about the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away from, uh, for the present, and when I get the opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. So what we have here is we have Paul before the civil authorities. And the first thing I thought of as I was reading this is, you know, what is the role of government? What is the role of government here? Um, and looking and... and you, uh, if, I'm going to throw out a lot of scripture here, and quite honestly, in the interest of time, I'm going to just summarize, summarize these. So jot these down and take a look. Uh, Romans 13, 4 uh, talks about, in describing the role of a magistrate or the role of the local governing authority, it, it basically says it's to provide justice, right? So the, God has set up the, the, the authorities, the civil authorities, wherever those civil authorities are. And this doesn't make sense to us. This is a hard thing for us to think about. It's hard for us to think about, well, these oppressive governments like North Korea, that God has set up that government. That's hard to understand. Quite honestly, it's hard for me to get. Sometimes I don't, you know, often I don't understand how this stuff works. 
But we know, we particularly, God in the Old Testament talks about how God has set up the thrones of very horrible governments, the Babylonian government, the Persian government, and that he uses those authorities for his end. Now, again, I don't know how this works. This gets back to the fact that our God is a redeeming God that takes the things that others mean for ill for his people and for his glory, and he turns that around and uses it for his glory. The same way he takes us when we fail him, when we sin, when we uh, fail to do what we know we should do, what God's given us to do, God can still take that and redeem that for, the, for his glory and for our good. So if this is, by the way, so this is the role of government, and we live in a government, we're blessed to be in a government that allows us to participate in the actual governing of, of ourselves. It's an amazing thing. This is a very, very unique setting um, uh, America is. I, I'm one of the people who say America is uh, an amazing, amazing place and that God has shown favor on America. Um, often, again, I don't know why because we don't deserve it, but he has. Um, and because we're in this place, we should participate in our government. We should take an active role in trying to make sure that the government God has given us and the role he's given us in that government as, as voting citizens, that we can affect that government to do the things God has ordained government to do, which is primarily to provide justice, to protect justice. So um, Felix, you're... If you'll remember in this text, Felix had a unique kind of uh, take on this. Um, Felix was, was waiting for something there. If you remember, it says at the same time in verse 26, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So uh, often, uh, and your Bible may even um, note something about this, about him looking for a bride. Um, it's become an, often described as a bride. I, I want to be more precise. Because I think that uh, I think that this is an interesting little point, and I'll be happy to talk with you uh, more if this is something that interests you. But there's a distinction between a bribe and extortion. So a bribe is something that you give someone to do something they shouldn't do. Extortion, and, and by the way, it's a sin to bribe. Very clearly, we don't need to be we don't need to bribe people. Extortion is when someone should do something. And they, but they want you to pay them to do the thing that they should do anyway. So we see here an example of extortion. Felix should be doing something different. He should either be getting him to Rome, getting Paul to Rome to, to, be, to see Caesar, or she should be letting him go and saying, look, these charges are kind of flimsy here. I'm going to let you go. But instead, he's, he's wanting to do a couple things, and one of them is he's looking to profit personally from this. He's hoping that Paul gives him Again, what most people call bribe, I would say he's wanting to pay extortion money. Okay? Um, and, and extortion, it is, uh, you are at fault if you are demanding extortion. You are at fault if you are offering a bribe. Can I, can I see the distinction there? So, um, so we have the situation, Paul doesn't pay. We have no reason to believe that Paul or anybody else around him uh, actually paid Felix. As a matter of fact, for two years, Felix keeps having these conversations in the hope that this happens. Uh, but there's something originally about their first conversation that really kind of blows my mind, and that's the fact that Felix, uh, he gets really upset when, when Paul starts talking about judgment. 
And this exchange about judgment is, uh, is interesting. Um, and, and, and judgment is real, and it's something we're going to come back to in just a few minutes. But with the, when the conversation turned to judgment, Felix, who's supposed to be the one sitting in judgment of Paul, and now Paul is telling him that a judgment's coming. And the one who should have had all the power in the, in the relationship, he should have been fine with that. But you see the one that had all the power got scared. And why do you get scared? Because he's a corrupt official. He did not like the concept of judgment. Um, I, I want you to, uh, to, as we continue, let's, let's keep looking at here. So we've got the end of Felix's, um, Felix's uh, rule, and he's now getting replaced. And in an attempt to keep people happy, uh, he kind of keeps, uh, Felix leaves Paul in prison when the new guy comes in. Um, the new guy arrives um, and pretty immediately goes down to Jerusalem and meets with the Jewish leaders. And this makes sense, right? He's the new, government, new governor from Rome, and he's going to go around and meet all the kind of important people in the area. And, uh, man, these people, this tells you how much these religious leaders hated Paul. Think about this. you get got a brand new guy coming in, the this, this, this seat of power, Roman authority in this entire area. They, and he's coming to visit our town. And the, and the thing we jump on him about is, hey, you got this prisoner named Paul, and we want him. Think about that. That's amazing. That's how big of a deal these people were. But remember, uh, uh, previously in Scripture, these people have sworn an oath not to eat or drink until Paul is dead. Now, we know they violated that oath because we're two years in at least, and they're still around. So they obviously have violated that oath. But they, this is how much they hate Paul. So um, the, uh, the new guy here, um, he, uh, he's a... Festus is his name. And, and he's, he's actually a pretty sharp guy, too. So Festus realizes, uh, they say, hey, why don't you send Paul down here for a trial? We'll just send him for a trial. And he realizes pretty quickly, uh, no, you guys are going to try to kill this guy. So no, why don't you come with me up to where all my soldiers are, and then we, we can talk. Um, so they go up with him, and they have a, uh, a trial. And uh, it becomes pretty clear that these accusations are flimsy. And, um, and Festus is... Uh, Paul answers all of these charges. Uh, he says, um, <clears throat> To the Jews I've done no wrong. As for myself, uh, as you yourself know very well... If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there's, any, but if there's nothing to, charge, uh, to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. So, and then he says, I appeal to Caesar. So here we have something really interesting. Um, Felix is a sharp guy, but he's also conniving. He's trying to trick Paul into going back to Jerusalem so he can be killed. And Paul's too smart for this, or the Holy Spirit through Paul is too smart for this. Uh, it's, it's hard to understand which is which. Um, and, but Paul says something. I, I wanted, this is a small thing, but I want to draw your attention to it really quickly, which is that 
Paul does not try to get out of a legitimate punishment. So Paul is not, if Paul didn't do something, you know, he didn't commit a crime and then go to jail and then plead, oh no, but I'm a Christian, I need to get out, I need leniency. He's not pleading for leniency. He's saying, hey, if I did something that the punishment is death, I will take it. But I didn't. So you need to let me go. So I think that's something interesting that we, you know, often um, we hear people plead for leniency. Um, that, that as Christians, we need to own the things we do. And that's what Paul's doing here, kind of a roundabout way. He's saying, I will own it if I did it. But I didn't. And we need to know that. Children, so I'm going to talk to you all for a second, then I'm going to talk to your parents. Children, if you make mistakes, like we all do, you need to own it. You need, if you make a mistake, if you, if you do something wrong, you need to own your mistake. Admit to it. Confess it. Okay? And then pay the punishment for it. Now, adults, same thing applies to you. And, and often, there are things that we can kind of get away with. You know, eh, fudging a number on our taxes, estimating up a little bit. You know, doing a couple things, maybe if I do this, you know, those kinds of things. You know, you need, to be, you need to be real with yourselves. You know, if you get a speeding ticket, own it. Say, yes, I was speeding. Pay it. You know, pay the penalty. Own your mistakes. With your spouses, own your mistakes. Be honest. Be open. Be upfront. Say, yes, I messed up. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Okay? So... So we, we see that. We see um, Paul as he is, uh, he, he now has said, I appeal to Caesar. So these are kind of the magic words. So the first magic words were, I'm a Roman citizen. Everything changed. Game changer, right? The second thing is when he said, hey, I appeal to Caesar. Because at this point, it's done. It is out of everybody's hands. This Roman citizen gets to go to Rome and appear before Caesar. Now you may ask yourself, hey, well, wouldn't everybody just appeal to Caesar? All the time? Wouldn't any Roman citizen appeal to Caesar anytime he got in trouble? Well, the, the problem with that is when you show up at Caesar's steps, Caesar's, uh, Caesar, by the way, is a title. A lot of people think it's a name. It's a title. Uh, the, 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 the Caesar at this point is Nero. And, uh, and the problem with appealing to Caesar anytime you got in trouble is Caesar's had a tendency of killing people. So th this was kind of a high-risk, high-gain gamble. Right, you're rolling the dice because usually the local officials, especially the Roman citizen, you'd have some, you'd have a trial. You know, you did something wrong. Maybe they put you in jail for a while. Maybe they fine you. Maybe they just take you in, and, and um, they they would only beat a Roman citizen if it was like actually like they were going to kill them. So th there was none of the kind of random beating that they gave other people. So they might fine them or imprison them, but but you were almost always better off dealing with your local authority when you appealed to Caesar. You could show up. He, Caesar could have a bad day and you could die. You just done it. You could have been a slave. You could have been lots of things. Caesar didn't have much limit on his authority. So we see here, we see, this, uh, we see him appeal to Caesar. So now he's going to go to Caesar. And, and the last little bit of scripture that I'm, I'm going to talk about is um, the last piece of this, which is when... Um, Paul, so Paul's being held, 
And a little while later, this king comes, King Agrippa. And King Agrippa comes, and, and again, he's a local official, new guy in charge. So King Agrippa comes to, and King Agrippa had a little bitty uh, jurisdiction. Um, he is the son of Herod. So kind of places him a little bit. So he, uh, he comes with his sister, and Felix says, hey, King Agrippa, you might be interested in this. Uh, I've got a Jew here that talks about some stuff. And King Agrippa was a Jew. He was a practicing Jew. And there's actually historical references to King Agrippa practicing and worshiping, actually bringing, doing his own sacrifices, which is kind of a big deal because usually you sent servants down to do your, do your sacrifices for you. So he was a practicing, knowledgeable Jew. And, um, and Felix was having a little bit of an issue. He didn't know what to write on the charges when he sent Paul to Rome, to Caesar, right? So he said, hey, why don't you come? You can meet this guy, and then you can help me write out the charges, like how I should charge him. Because he's, you know, he's kind of bound up in all these kind of religious, Jewish religious things. And I don't understand that. Because Felix is brand new to the area. So he's saying, hey, you understand this. You can help me. So King Agrippa says, hey, this sounds cool. So the next day they get together and there's this big pomp and circumstance and a big ceremony. Now this is not a trial. King Agrippa has no authority over Paul. It's, it, this is purely just kind of a ceremony and, and um, really to help Felix out figure out what to write. So Paul stands up and, um, and even though he didn't have to talk at all, he, talked, he stood up and he did something amazing. Uh, he gave his testimony. Now, I, I regrettably wasn't here. We had a sick child. But last week, we did this thing. We saw this, right? We saw testimonies presented. There is immense power in testimony. Next week, we're going to hear another testimony. These, this presentation of this is how God has changed me. This is how meeting Christ changed who I am. That's exactly what we see Paul do with King Agrippa. And he gives him his whole testimony. And, and as he goes through this testimony, he gets to the end. And, um, and, and this is interesting because it's not just his personal testimony. He was able, it was his personal testimony, but he was able to pull on all the knowledge he had uh, of being this um, educated Jew to be able to influence King Agrippa, who was also this educated Jew who knew about the prophets. So we see in verse uh, chapter 26, verse 24, it says, and, he was saying, uh, and as he was saying these things in his defense, Felix said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Now, this should not surprise us. Um, we see, um, we are told, actually, um, in, in Matthew 10, 25, Jesus' own words. He tells us, hey, look, they called me being from the house of Beelzebub. They called me a devil and a demon. How much more are they going to call you? They're going to call you the same thing. Be ready for this. Right? They're going to persecute you. They persecuted me. Be ready. So, so Paul was ready for this. Um, and, and he responds by saying, I am not out of my mind. Most excellent people, uh, Festus. 
but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and I, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? So we, we've got the hard press here. Right? We've got Paul bringing to, to uh, King Agrippa, hey, I've got the prophets, I've got the law, Look, we, 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 can, we can talk about this. We, I can explain to you the prophets that were pointing to Jesus. This is you know, the, the fact that the entire Bible points to Jesus and his, and, and his coming sacrifice for us becomes incredibly clear to Paul, and Paul is convincing King Agrippa of this. And King Agrippa says, hey, wait a are you trying to make me a Christian here? Now, this is interesting because this is a similar question I've had people ask me before. And hopefully it's a question that people may ask you one day. You know, somebody may say, wait a minute, you're, you're inviting me to church or you're having these conversations about the Bible. Are you trying to make me a Christian? Yes. Yes. That is exactly what I'm doing. And we, need to be, don't, we don't need to be afraid of that. We don't need to be afraid to openly and honestly communicate that. Yes, I am trying to convert you. Because the same thing I have, the thing I want for you is the thing I have. And we see this in Paul's answer. He says, whether short or long, I would to God that not... Only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I, such as I am, except for the chains. Right? So here, first of all, I think Paul's got a good sense of humor. And I, I think Paul's kind of really honestly poking them at the injustice of what's going on. Because he is, but he's being very honest. Yes, I'm trying to convert you. Not just you. I'm trying to convert anybody that hears what I'm saying. Uh, I've been reading a book, uh, um, just, to, just finished a book about presenting the gospel and presenting reasoning with people to try to, con- to, to convey the gospel through reasoning. And one of the amazing things, interesting points of the Bible about this book that, that hints at this very fact is often the person you're talking to is not the person you're witnessing to. It's the other people that are around you. It's the other people that are hearing the conversation. It may be even the people that that person conveys the conversation to. And that's exactly what we have here. And, you know, Paul's kind of humorous words here. Yeah, I want you to be exactly like me. Sit for the chance. So, we, we see um, all this and we see this trial. And, and I'm going to skip ahead to the end here. Where... You know, we see uh, Paul, he's been, he's committed no crime. He is being judged by dishonest judges. He is, uh, and and unjust judges. And he does not deserve to be punished, let alone punished by death. And when I read this, and especially when I think back to that judgment comment that 
<clears throat> that Paul was having with the government officials. <coughs> Excuse me. And I can't help but think about the judgment that one day we are going to face. Everyone is going to face. And, and I immediately kind of thought, well, that's interesting. There's a lot of parallels here. And as I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, there's actually not many parallels at all. Because we are not righteous. Romans 3, 10 through 12 tells us no one is righteous. Uh, our judge is going to be completely just. Psalms 17, uh, 7, 11 through 13 tells us that God is a just judge. There's no impartiality. He, he's not on the take. He's not looking for a bribe or extortion. And Romans 6, verse 23 tells us very clearly, the wages of sin is death. So where Paul had not committed a crime and was innocent, we are guilty. Paul's judges were dishonest and unjust. Ours is perfectly just. And Paul did not deserve to be punished. Yet we deserve nothing better than death. There's a difference, though. There's one thing that we have that Paul also had, but it wasn't as obvious. So if you'll turn with me to 1 John. Chapter 2. And it says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father. That's our judge. Jesus Christ, the righteous. You see, that just as Paul could stand firm and confident, because he, he had not committed a crime. But that's not really why Paul was standing firm. There's a lot of innocent people that stand in front of judges who have the power to take their life, who are scared to death. Paul was confident because he had Jesus Christ. Just like we can stand confidently in this world because we have Jesus Christ. More importantly, we can stand confident in the final judgment because we will be able to look at God in heaven in His amazing glory now, it may be after we fall to our knees and quake. But we'll be able to look up and we'll see Him looking at us, not as guilty criminals who deserve a, righteous, a just death. He'll be looking at us as children. Because He'll look at us and He'll see Jesus' righteousness put on top of us. So He's going to look at us like a child. Like one of his children returning to his home. So it's... And, and that's really the ultimate story. That's why Paul was doing everything he was doing. All these things that we read. His, his three huge mission trips. 
You know, the, standing up to getting beaten. You know, he had a, a, a protocol. He would show up to a city and preach to the, to the Jews. And the Jews would beat him up. And he'd drag himself out of the synagogue. And then he'd start preaching to the Gentiles. And sometimes they would beat him up. And he'd crawl out of the city and just to do it all again. And he did it because of Jesus Christ. Because he wanted to share the amazing love he had received. So we see that this is how Paul responded to his life, to, 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 to Jesus being and changing his life. He responded by going and making disciples. That same commandment that drives him, that same commission, is what drives us. Now some from this church have been called specifically to go to certain peoples in certain places and bring them the word. And we need to pray for those people. But don't look at me and tell me, well, I've not been called to a ministry yet, so I don't have to do anything. No, we can look at the Great Commission. We can tell you, you are called to make disciples. Done. So if, you're, if you are waiting for that call on your life, I can tell you, it's there right now. Now, there may not be a specific people group or country associated with it yet. It may be the people God puts in your world. It could be your next door neighbor. It could be the, the lady in the checkout line behind you at Kroger. It could be that friend from high school that you haven't seen in a long time that just sent you an email. I don't know who God's going to put in your life, but I know that He will. And the question is, are you going to be like Paul? Are you going to take every single opportunity to present the gospel? Maybe it's through your testimony. Maybe it's through talking about the Bible. Are you going to take every opportunity God gives you to talk about His Son and His love? And that's what we're called to do. That's how we respond to the Word. Now we can also respond by, by singing. And we're getting ready to do that. And as the music folks will come back up. You know, this is going to be an opportunity, a time where we can sing and respond to God. We're going to do it in a few minutes with the table. We respond to God and His love for us in many different ways. I'm going to call you to this week, ask God how you can respond to His love. Who in your life is He leading you to speak to? Is it the cashier at Publix? Maybe it's an old friend. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's your parent. But that's what I want your prayer to be, is to ask God to show you how to respond.